Welcome to the 133rd episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with horror novelist Hunter Shea, the author of Sinister Entity. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Hunter Shea. Hunter is the author of several horror novels and many short stories. Hunter's latest novel, Sinister Entity, is available in bookstores now. Hunter, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Sure, sure. Well, I wanted to see if at the outset you could read the first page or two of your latest novel, Sinister Entity. Absolutely. And I love you say it, the, the title better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a New Yorker. So, so T is just coming out of Sinister Entity. It yeah. comes out like D's. Yeah. It's nice to hear it said. Uh, okay. Well, this is chapter one. The girl walked alone. She was oblivious to the world outside the confines of her own daydream. Pink padded de- headphones blasted pop music while she texted on her phone. Because of the false summer, she was wearing a halter top with a V-cut that showed the swell of her firm breasts. Her shorts, denim with frayed ends, bunched up to the tops of her thighs. The olive skin of her shoulders was unblemished, perfect. Her hips swayed as she walked, the roll of her buttocks exuding an oblivious sexuality that could only be achieved by the young and naive. Such power, unharnessed, supercharging the air, leaving ripples of popping sparks in her wake. It was a struggle to mirror her movements in the darkness where no one else could see. Watching, always watching, and on days like today, imitating. She stopped at the corner, paused to look down at her sandal, and bent down to adjust the strap. With a sudden movement, she straightened up and looked behind her, eyes narrowed. There was no need to worry. She would only see shadows. And in the shadows, a pair of eyes narrowed. One hand on a hip, a mirror image, a newly developed negative of the beautiful girl, watching and waiting. Great. Do you, if someone listening hasn't heard about Sinister Entity yet, how would you describe the novel? This, it's um, actually, it's the start of what I hope will be a nice long series about a ghost hunter. Uh, her name is Jessica Backman, and she's 19 years old. Um, she has a benefit that a lot of people don't have, where she's a multimillionaire because her father won the lottery back when she was six, when, actually when she was born. Uh, and her father became an amateur ghost hunter be- in the days before there were ghost hunting, there was ghost hunting on TV. So he kind of didn't know what he was dealing with or getting into, and he lost his life. And this was in the previous book, Forest of Shadows, my first book with Sam Hain. And uh, we picked the story up 13 years later. So this novel, even though it's a sequel, it, it's a complete standalone novel as well, because it's introducing Jessica as an adult, not not as a little child. And she's kind of gone on to take a pick up the family business. And do you remember what gave you the original idea for the series and and for the character? You know, I've been raised on the paranormal and horror. I mean, you know, I, I grew up in the seventies and eighties, so I was a, a devotee to in search of and 
the Night Stalker and the Twilight Zone. So I've been obsessed with all things horror. I mean, I was seeing uh, Dawn of the Dead when I was eight years old in the movie theater, which I think today my dad would probably be dragged away for doing that. But (laughs) (laughs) in 78, it was fine. Um, And I've actually, I've had, I'd had an experience, uh, my own paranormal experience in the 90s. And that was right around the time when I was starting to um, write and try to learn the craft. And as I was going through the progression of how you go through trying to just become a better writer, I just always had in the back of my mind, I said, you know, when I finally feel like I've, I've gotten my skills to where they need to be, I have to write something about ghosts and about um, the experiences they have on people. And it's not so much about the ghosts, it's really about the reaction of the people. Uh, that have those types of experiences. So I started Forest of Shadows back in 2000, and I was writing about a ghost hunter, and there were no ghosts, there were no ghost hunting shows on TV. I think I knew a little bit about Hans Holzer and his books, but uh, it was pre-Ghost Hunters and everything else that you see on Para TV today. So I was kind of going blind in there, and now I have a I have a better handle on what people see and then what real paranormal groups, what they actually do. So I'm kind of trying to blend both of them into this book. Sure. And, and, and what, what is the appeal to you of, of ghost stories and of the horror genre? What, 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 what kind of interests you about it? Yeah, well, I, I'm a sucker for anything that's uh, scary, even though I don't get scared. I just love uh, the feeling, the kind of rush that you get. Uh, and to me, when you look back at, at everything that's involved in the horror genre, you have your zombies and your monsters, vampires and werewolves. Uh, the one thing that I think a lot of people have experienced is ghosts. And it's completely unexplained. Nobody has the answer, uh, no matter how much some people might scream from the mountaintop that they know exactly what these are. Nobody does. And if you go back to really the beginnings of human history, this is something that's been experienced by people as long as we've been on this planet. So to me, it's a quest for the ultimate question, where do we go when we die? Uh, And in that quest is maybe because it feels so real to so many people, I think these stories scare people more. It scares me when I'm writing them sometimes. So (laughs) I can imagine what it does when they read them. And and you said earlier, I want to come back to this. You said earlier that you, that you had a paranormal experience of your own. Do you mind talking about that? Yeah, I'm actually, it's funny because I just, I had written a novella based on that exact experience. um, And I gave it to my editor actually just the other day. But I can tell you that um, when my wife and I were first married uh, 20 years ago, she got really, really sick. And she was uh, in the hospital in and out for about two years, uh, sometimes doing two, three month stints straight in the hospital. And when I finally was able to get her home, uh, she was on life support. So I had her here in the bedroom, actually where I'm talking to you right now. And she would be hooked up to machines and she wasn't conscious very much. And I was trying to keep my job and just keep the benefits going and keep her uh, going. And it was, a, it was a stressful time, really crazy. I can't even begin to put into words what it was like, um, though I tried. Um, and one night I was washing the dishes in our uh, in the kitchen and there's a hallway that goes out from the kitchen to the bedroom and I looked over and there was a boy just standing in my hallway 
and it wasn't a boy like a ghost. You couldn't see through him. There was nothing wispy or ethereal about him. It was just a boy. So I assumed it was some kid that came in from the neighborhood and just happened to wander in. He looked about eight years old. And when I went to go ask him what he was doing in my house, he ran into the bedroom where my wife was. This is a distance of maybe five feet. So I jumped out of the kitchen because I didn't want a kid in there with all the machines that she was hooked up to. And when I got in there, there was nobody in the, in the room. And it just completely terrified me. Wow. Um, <laughs> that sounds intense. But, yeah. Uh, and then when I thought about it, I said, well, he didn't even make a noise when he ran. Like, I didn't even hear footsteps. He just kind of went in here. I kept it to myself because I didn't want anyone to think I was losing it. You know, it was very important that I, everybody around us knew and felt confident that I could take care of my wife at the time. I didn't tell her because she was going through enough. Um, and over the course of a year, I saw him about a half dozen more times, always moving from the hallway into the bedroom. And whenever I get into the bedroom, he was gone. So I just assumed this is just me. I'm stressed. This is I. It, this is coming from my head, and just I'm probably nuts at this point. I know my blood pressure is about 240 over 180, so that could have something to do with it. <laughs> um, and then my wife, a year later, she got better, and she was off the life support. And we were talking one day, and she said to me, uh, "I was getting ready to go to work," and she says, "You know, I used to be so scared when you would go to work because I'd know that I was here alone uh, until a nurse would come." But she goes, "You know, there was." this boy that always came in here and stood by my side. And she thought she was imagining the boy as well. And I said, can you describe the boy? And she described right down to the color of his hair, the same boy I'd been seeing for the past six years, for the past year. Wow. So we knew that there was something in this house. <laughs> That's an intense story. And, and did you ever, did you ever, you know, talk to anyone who may have lived in the house before you about, you know, who the boy may have been? Yeah, I did, and there's no connection to any boy that could possibly be in the house. Hmm. Uh, the thing was, my wife, a few years after that, she um, she had cancer, as if the first thing wasn't enough. And during that time, I saw some weird lights in our house, and she was seeing the boy full on while she was recovering from that. So he comes and goes according to the state of her health. And the only thing we can think of is that her, uh, my wife's mother had uh, two stillborn children, and they were both born. Uh, they were both boys. So the feeling is in the family that those are my wife's brother, one of her brothers, coming to uh, make sure she'll be okay. Well, that, that's creepy. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's interesting. It is. It, well, you know what? When you talk about it, it's creepy. I got to say though, when it was happening. There was this uh, feeling of everything's going to be all right, so it never felt strange. Right, right. It looked strange, but I never got a, a creeped out. I don't want to sleep in here. Right, right. <laughs> Interesting. Well, well, you 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 mentioned earlier, um, kind of the the process that you 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 said. Um, I think the phrase you used was the process of learning how to write. Um, and I was just curious about that for you. What, what was the what was the path to publication like for for your first short stories and novels getting published? Um, what was that kind of learning process like for you? Yeah, I think that path was actually uh, harder than uh, 
the what the hobbits had to go through to get to the ring. Uh, <laughs> it was long and arduous, and it, I mean, you really do have to learn, unless you're gifted and you just have this innate ability. You really have to learn how to write, and not just write, but write for publication. Something that an editor or an agent will both say, "Wow, that's something that we want to put on the printed page," and will actually engage readers. I mean, that's a that's a tough process. So, and I knew it would be. So I started out doing a lot of short stories. Um, and and, and I'm, I'm just could, curious. I mean, I'm just curious if you could go into that a little bit deeper. Like, like what what was what was tough about it? I mean, and I can just tell you from my own experience of writing fiction. What was it that you were? Was it that you were? Um, uh, you know, reading stuff that that was obviously published, meaning you know, novels and things from the bookstore, or the library, and then you start working on your own stuff, and you felt like it didn't um, measure up, and so it was kind of a, a a process of trying to get your writing to that level. Is that, is that what you're talking about? Exactly. It, it, it was the concept of, it was the idea of you have to have a concept that's, that's going to resonate with you. Um, and you have to learn how to not meander, how to kind of stick with the theme, uh, creating dialogue. That's a skill in its own, trying to create realistic dialogue. And that sound like, um, I don't know, something from dragnet, um, uh, and then trying to just get the stories polished where where they were clear and concise. And if you were writing suspense novel, is it building suspense or did I go off into a tangent over here that kind of popped the bubble? Um, and there are a lot of stories that will never see the light of day. They're stuck in my file cabinet, but never would I show anybody. <laughs> but they were good. They were valuable. That You know, practice is the key to everything. And I spent, I think, four years just writing short stories. So I felt that I, I had a handle on how to do that. Uh, and then I tried my first novel, which actually actually a romantic comedy. Um, I said, if I could tackle something that I just is completely opposite of me and get through that, then the rest should be pretty easy. <laughs> I was wrong, but it was a good experience. So did, did you have this experience, too, of where you, you know, were working on these short stories and then maybe um, – wrote something that you felt like was, was, you know, really good and that you wanted to send out and then you sit down to write something else and you feel like you kind of went backwards. Oh yeah. <laughs> it, there's a lot of one step forward, two steps back. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, but the good thing was there were, there were some stories that I wrote that I kept revisiting and I said, Oh, you know what? This story is actually pretty good. There's, there's a nugget in here. I can, I can, if I pull it out, I can put it over here it's going to work better. And that actually, one of those stories turned into uh, my second book with Sam Hain, Evil Eternal, uh, which actually started out as a short story about a uh, priest battling demons in the sewers under New York City uh, and ended up into a, a bigger, broader, sweeping epic. So, you know, those little stories come in handy. Always keep them around. And, and what, what kept you going um, in that process of, of trying to get your writing to a point where you felt like it was publishable. What, what kept you kind of going back to the keyboard? You know, if I have an idea in my head, I'm like a dog with a bone. I don't let go. Uh, a friend of mine, he's also a writer. And he said, he says, I've never seen somebody who was so afflicted with compulsion like you are when it comes to writing. I just didn't want to stop until I, I got my goal. And my goal at the time was to write up, a full-length horror novel uh, and have it published by a particular publishing house, which was Leisure Horror, part of uh, Dorchester Publishing. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And my editor had to be Don Dioria. I mean, that was, I had a very specific goal and I wasn't going to stop until I got that. Great. Um, and so I'm assuming you sent your, your novels to Don. I Forest of Shadows, which had, was under a different name at the time, I wrote it and I said, you know what, I think because I, I read every book that came out through Leisure. Right. And I sent it to Don and I had no agent. And I said, well, let's just see. And I wasn't going to send it to anybody else. And I actually waited. Uh, there was a four year process <laughs> uh, back and forth once every year and a half from him where he'd say, oh, I like this. Can you send me? the synopsis and then it went to the first 50 pages and then went to the whole novel. And then he came out of, out of the blue. He said, I just, I'd given up. And he said, I definitely want to pick up this book. Um, it's the first time I've ever been speechless in my life. I actually got up from my desk at work and just drove home. (laughs) I didn't even say a word. I just left. Um, and then three months later, Dorchester and leisure completely imploded and that deal was dead. Yes, and I was ready to uh, call it quits myself. Sure. Um, but then I talked to a couple of uh, horror authors at a conference, Brian Keane and Jack Ketchum and uh, Jesus Gonzalez, and I told them what I'd went through. They were Brian Keane was great. He says he goes, look, he goes, you never signed, finished signing on the dotted line, so you're not going to have to do a legal struggle to get your the rights to your book back. So consider yourself lucky. Um, Jack Ketchum said, look, if Don liked it the first time, he'll like it again wherever he lands or another editor will like it. And sure enough, uh, when Don went to Sam Hain and just, they gave him the keys to the horror kingdom and said, start up a new horror line, he uh, gave me a call and said, I'd like to include your book in the initial debut of horror author. So that was – it was an up and down roller coaster, but man, was it worth it. That's great. That's a great story. So I'm curious. I mean, you know, I'm sure that you're very familiar, especially within the horror genre of, of um, you know, the impact of, of ebooks and, and more specifically, you know, the ability to self-publish. Have you done any self-publishing in terms of electronically? Uh, I did do one story uh, as I was waiting for the first book uh, for Force of Shadows to come out. I published one short story called The Dig. Um, and I put that out on Amazon uh, only because I wanted to have some content out there before the book came out, maybe try to build uh, some small audience with that. And it did a little bit, but since the other books have come out, now it's selling. So uh, that's good. I get the a little check from Amazon every now and then for that. Uh, and I'm going to publish another um, book of sh- a collection of short stories and uh, True Hauntings probably later this year actually have uh, somebody working on the cover. I'm just trying to get everything in order and add a few, a couple other stories onto it. So, you know, it's in this day and age, you can do a lot of things. I, I, first of all, I'd say having a traditional publisher behind you is there. Nothing can beat it as far as the talent that they bring to the table for editing and for cover design and for marketing and promotions. But if you have other little things out there that you, you know, you want to give your fans, there's, easy ways to do that too. And sure. it's rewarding for you as well. Yep. So I, I know that, um, in addition to your novels and, and, uh, your writing, you also co-host a video podcast, monster men. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's, uh, my friend, Jack Campisi and I, we worked together years ago. And when I met him, I said, wow, you're my brother from another mother. We have the same likes and dislikes and 
we definitely grew up on other sides of the tracks. I was on the wrong side, by the way. Um, and we always said we should just do a show where we just sit and talk about horror and movies and books and television and all the stuff that we like. So when uh, when I got to deal with Sam Hain, he said, you know what, this is a good a, a time. Let's do this. This will help you with your career and we'll have a good time. And we're uh, – we are we I think we've shot 45 episodes so far uh, and they're growing each episode they started at around 10 minutes now they're about 20 25 minutes uh, this year we're going to add uh, interviews with writers and directors and actors um, and we just did our first filmed paranormal uh, little hunting that we did in the the haunted Union Cemetery in Connecticut and we actually caught an EVP which totally blew us away so uh, we can't wait to show that, and that'll come out, I think, in the next couple of weeks. We'll have that out ready to go. So it's, it's been a blast. I mean, we get to talk about the things we love, and we're kind of, we're, it's, we talk about dark subjects with a real lighthearted sense of humor about it, because if you can't laugh sometimes, <laughs> what's <Sure>. the sense? <laughs> so, so in terms of horror literature and, and, and um, horror novels, what, what have you read lately that has impressed you and kind of made an impact? Wow, I read so much too. You know, there's a book that I got uh, at a horror conference. It, I just reached up to grab it here. It's The yeah. Trail by Brian Francis. Uh, he's a teacher, I think, in Pennsylvania. And this is, I don't know, do you know Richard Lehman? Oh, of course. And his yep. work? Yeah. Yeah, he, this is very Lehman esque and so well written, crisp, and just has that Lehman kind of twisted sensibility of people. Uh, lost in the trail in the mountains and uh, bizarre people coming after them. Really, really good book. I highly recommend it. And what's the name um, of that again? The Trail by what? What's the author's name? The Trail by Brian Francis. Really good book. Um, and for the you know fe fellow publisher, fellow authors with my publisher, I mean, I just Brian Moreland. I, I'm I'm astounded by what he does. He uh, he wrote uh, Dead of Winter and Shadows in the Mist. He does a lot of historical fiction, and the amount of research he does just blows me away. Um, and then how he just he creates the he builds this whole world that has there's fact and fiction interwoven in it, and it's just mesmerizing. I mean, great stuff. Um, he actually inspired me to write a period piece, which I'm just finishing this weekend. Um, mine's set in 1905 in Wyoming. I didn't do half as much work as he does, though. <laughs> and and what, what was that name again? Sorry, I didn't catch it. Uh, the two the books that he's written is uh, Dead of Winter mm -hmm. and Shadows in the Mist. And I, I did say Shadows in the Mist is the, probably one of the top five horror books I've read, uh, read in the last ten years. Wow. So, so given your 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 you know path to publication and, and that process that we talked about earlier in terms of uh, really kind of uh, learning to write. What advice do you have for uh, aspiring writers and someone who would like to have their own stories or novels published? I always tell people that the very first thing you have to do is read. Uh, I am shocked by the amount of people who come up to me and say, you know, I'm working on a book. Or I, want, I want to be where you are. And I ask them, how much do you read? And they say, well, I don't really read at all. Or I read a book or two a year and it just, I said, well, I said, if you don't read, then you have no idea how to write because reading subliminally teaches you plotting and pacing and dialogue and theme and structure. 
And you just, you need that background. I mean, I probably read 75 to 100 books a year. Um, and I always have since I was probably eight years old. So that is your greatest tool. That's a better tool than any writing class you can go to is reading. Um, and second is to just to write and not just write, but write something and finish it. Um, there's plenty of folks out there, and I was there too, where you, you write and you kind of lose interest and you start another thing and you just kind of go back and forth and you get discouraged. Let me tell you, the biggest ego boost you can do is start something and get right down to the end. And as soon as you finish with the end, put it aside, start something else, then grab that book that you that book or story that you got to the end a couple of weeks later and start reworking it. And it's it's a hard process. I tell people, I said, you have to be out of your mind if you really want to get into this business. But luckily, there's plenty of us who are nuts. Great. <laughs> well, well, where can people find you online to find out more about um, your your books and the, the podcast that we mentioned earlier? Yeah, you could find everything uh, at huntershay.com. Uh, there it has uh, my blog. It has a bookstore in there. Uh, link to all of the uh, Monster Men podcasts. If you wanted to uh, check out the Monster Men, we're on YouTube at Monster Men 13. Um, and also, of course, you have, always have to have your Twitter and your Facebook pages, but there's links to get there through uh, the main website too. Sure. And I'll have links to your site in the show notes as well that people can check out. Well, um, thanks. Uh, again, Again, we've been speaking with Hunter Shea. Hunter's latest novel, Sinister Entity, is available in bookstores now, so definitely check it out. Hunter, thanks for doing the interview. Oh, thank you very much for having me. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.